Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. You know, the daily growing understanding of COVID-19 along with the ever-changing predictions and responses are unsettling and confusing to many. But honestly, during this time of uncertainty and forced isolation, God is at work and wants to both strengthen our faith and reach more people with the gospel of peace. As we're looking at Moses and the Israelites, what we see is in spite of all the amazing things God has done, things that should engender rock-solid faith when facing uncertainty, the Israelites resort to the bad spiritual habit of forgetfulness. We sometimes read and say, well, if God did all those huge miracles and I saw them, well, I'd never doubt God. But the reality is you and I, we all succumb to the cycle of remembering and then forgetfulness. I don't know about you, but I find when I'm running really hard in life, there are so many things about God, about myself, about loving others well, about life, things I know that I just don't always remember when I need to remember them. Our ability to as people to find time to reflect and remember is such a critical and healthy spiritual habit that is so often lost in the rat race of life. So the time we're in right now actually provides a huge opportunity to reflect and remember. So the question for today and for all of us is, where am I in the cycle? Am I living in faith and peace and remembering or am I living in fear and anxiety? So let's quickly do a short review of what came through last week before the glitch so we can be all on the same page and then we'll move forward. After all the ups and downs of 40 plus years leading the people in the wilderness, God inspires Moses to write down the most important lessons for the people of Israel and us. The most important of which is found in Deuteronomy 6, and it reads this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is a vivid way of saying remember. And Moses repeats the command to remember 24 times in Deuteronomy. He's exhorting us to practice the spiritual habit of remembering. In Deuteronomy, we see God, Moses commanding us to, to remember at least three main categories of things. The first category to remember is found in verses 1 through 3. It's remember the commands of God. Now, Moses emphasizes this point in the beginning of his long sermon in Deuteronomy, and he reemphasizes the point at the very end of Deuteronomy 32, where he says, Take heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. 
So do we think of God's commands like this? No empty word, but your very life. The second category of remembering is remembering the slavery of sin. Verse 12 says, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, the Bible repeatedly talks about slavery to sin and our slavery to an identity that is not the way God created us. Just because God saves us doesn't mean that we're automatically free of the damage that sin has done in the way we self-protect, the way we respond, the way we think. It doesn't mean all of our unhealthy coping mechanisms and instincts have changed. You see, so often we, by nature, by instinct, by habit, return to those old, unhealthy, even sinful ways of coping and doing things. So do you ask yourself regularly the memory question, based on what I know from the past of my own life, the sin of others, where will this choice take me? Moses is saying we can choose a life of freedom and blessing and goodness or one of slavery, bondage, bitterness, dissatisfaction, and sin. So in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the Israelites of stories in their recent past where they sinned, exhorting them to remember their mistakes and consequences and learn from their mistakes. For example, Moses reminds them of when he was delayed on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and the people panicked rather than remembering God. So they took all their gold jewelry, they melted it down and had Aaron make a golden calf and they started a drunken orgy in worship of the golden calf, something that would make Woodstock seem like a PG-rated story. Later in Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds them of a place called Massa, where they were running low on water in the wilderness. They did not trust God would be with them, so instead the crowd complains, becomes whipped up, and wants to kill Moses and go back to slavery in Egypt. See, they consistently sinned in unbelief, not remembering and complaining. The same people who had just been delivered by God from four centuries of slavery via the ten plagues, saw God's part the sea for them, the same people to whom God was sending down 500 tons of bread out of the sky every morning, and they still ask, hey God, what have you done for us lately? We think, what a short, fickle memory. But if we're honest, we see the same kind of fickleness in our own lives. Something great happens, we go, wow, God is good. Something bad happens, and we go, where is God? He's left us on our own. It would be better for me to go back to my old ways. And we often do go back to our old coping methods because of the known of the past. Therefore, we are exhorted to remember the slavery of sin. See, it's all too easy to forget the reality of the past. Sometimes when the present and future are uncertain or difficult or disappointing, we can have this unhealthy nostalgia where we realize the grass is not greener on the other side of the hill. And so we start painting on our minds how the grass was so much greener and better in the past before we went over the hill. We forget the weeds, the problems, how our unhealthy coping mechanisms and sin left us feeling back then. And because we forget the reality of the past, in the face of uncertainty, we prefer the known of the past over the promise of the future. The problem is if we choose to go back to our old known ways back to Egypt, instead of growing in faith and character, we inevitably become stuck in a cycle where we return to the same type of challenge to our faith and character again and again and again. We never really avoid it, we just repeat it. So you face a conflict or difficult relationship situation, and you avoid it, but you're destined to face it again. I mean, sometimes people who divorce more than once do so at the same challenge point in each relationship. And the same is true in business and leadership and friendships, even in churches. That's the reason people live their whole life saying, I'm afraid of conflict and don't learn to deal with it well. We don't trust God to love us and take us through whatever uncertainty or difficulty we are facing. So we choose to settle for the known, even if the known is far worse than our dreams and hopes long for. We settle for Egypt. 
Now, I label this point, remember the slavery of sin, but the point is not so much remembering sin as it is remembering the sin so that you remember how far God has brought you, how much freedom God has brought in your life, how different, stronger, more whole and healthy you are today than you were back then. See, we forget how far we've come as people. We forget how God has freed us from selfishness to love more. And because we forget when we are in those challenging moments, we don't trust God to help us face that next challenge well. Remembering our sin and how far we've come is what helps us trust God to successfully face the difficulty of the day because of what he's done in the past, because trusting his commands in the past brought goodness to our lives and we will remember it. But God doesn't just call us out of slavery to sin. He calls us to something. The third category of remembering is remember his promises. Here's just one way God expresses a promise found in what we already read. He says, be careful to do them, God's commands, that it may go well with you that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. A bit later, it says it this way, that God will bless you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all the good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And then when we are so very blessed, God gives a warning, a pitfall to remembering and says, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, here's what I know. <clears throat> when I talk about remembering what God has done in your life or encourage you to remember God's promises among those listening, several reactions tend to take place. For some of you, you think, yeah, God is so amazing. I remember when he did this and this and this and wow. And I remember this promise of God over my life and remembering motivates you onward. For others, you think, well, I'm not exactly sure where or if God has shown up in my life. I mean, sure, some good things happened, but was that God or just dumb luck? Kind of hard to sort it out. So you're left feeling unsure. And for still others, the very concept that God has promised for you is a bit foreign. You aren't sure what, what does God promise me? Now, clearly, as you read Exodus and Deuteronomy, the Israelites had some of the same questions and struggles and their lack of remembering where God had been at work, what God had promised them and holding on to that instead of fear in the face of the unknown was a big problem. We can see both the fear and not remembering as well as the remembering and faith in the companion book to Deuteronomy called Numbers. In Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. In other words, 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Moses sent them to explore Canaan and see what kind of land is it? Is it good or bad? What bring back a report? So the people of Israel wait in anticipation. Now the report 10 of the spies brought back was one of fear, saying in verse 31, we cannot attack these people. They are stronger than we are. Ten of the spies spread a bad report. The response of the Israelites seen in chapter 14 of Numbers, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, saying, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this place only to let us fall by the sword? And we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. How did they again move from faith in God to fear so quickly? Fear is cultivated in the soil of uncertainty combined with unbelief. 
In the face of uncertainty, we as humans tend to magnify obstacles, whatever the obstacle is. It might be coronavirus. It might be the threat of the politics. It might be magnifying our sin, how unable, unworthy, or powerless we are. It might be magnifying the power of others, the faults of the system. At the same time, we minimize God's promises, and fear grows when we focus on uncertainty. Faith grows when we focus on the assurance of our God. We know who God is, what he has done in our lives in Scripture throughout history and personally, so we trust him. How is our trust of God on or fear affecting the response to coronavirus right now for us? Certainly we can be informed, we can be wise, but early church, when the plagues hit Rome, cared and risked and stayed engaged, modeling peace and love that brought thousands upon thousands to faith during the crisis. The faith question in the face of uncertainty of the coronavirus is where is God at work in this uncertain time? Where is God taking this bad thing and creating an opportunity for the gospel? Let's tie this all together and, and, and rewind a little bit. There were, they were, the Israelites were rescued from 400 years of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea in this all-out run-for-your-lives moment where the enemy was literally swallowed up in the sea. God provided manna and quail for them to eat and water from a rock to drink when they were thirsty, and yet they forgot. In addition, in specific relation to the spies report, in Exodus 17, 8 through 16, we see earlier where Israel fought the Amalekites. Moses goes up on the hill, holds his hands up and worship God. And as long as his hands were up, Israel is winning. When his arms grew tired and fell down, the Amalekites started to win. So Aaron and Hur stood on the left and right and held Moses' arms up and worshiped to God until the Amalekites were defeated. So now when the Israelite spies go into the land, who do they see dwelling in that land? The Amalekites. God had already given them victory in the past over these same people who now they said were too big and too strong. They forgot. On top of that, it's no coincidence that the land where the spies are sent is called Hebron. This is the same place Abraham was given the promise in Genesis 15 that says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they will they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Yet here they are in Numbers 13, 400 years later, rescued from slavery as God prophesied, now standing on the same place where God spoke to Abraham, foretelling their 400-year journey, and made the promise to give them the land, but they forgot that profound detail. They forgot because they made the obstacles so much bigger than God's promises. Before we go pointing fingers at them, if we hold up a mirror to ourselves, we do the same thing, right? Maybe you took the risk to serve God by leading something, a small group or, or a children's ministry class or something else, and it was hard. It didn't feel like it was going well. It wasn't as fun or as fulfilling as you'd expected. So the next time God brings you to a place of inviting you to risk and lead and serve, maybe you find yourself unsure or even unwilling. Maybe you took a risk and decided to tithe, as God asks us all to do, to trust him and love him enough to give 10% of the income that he has given you to him as worship and thanks for God giving you all that you have. And so you gave, but then you hit hard times and started to question, does God really bless generosity? You did something, you took a risk, followed God when it was hopeful, but it was also kind of scary, and you ended up in the wilderness with no water. We can get so focused on the obstacle rather than promise. God is so much bigger than the obstacles you are magnifying right now. In the soil of uncertainty, either fear grows or faith grows. 
What are you doing now in reaction to the uncertainty with the coronavirus, with your job, with the economy, with what you will do with your children in this time, with how has, this will affect your income and all the other host of things? For most of the Israelites, there was fear. But Numbers 13 says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome. Now, Caleb must have been incredibly frustrated with the other spies who saw only the obstacles and were intimidated by them. The soil in Caleb and Joshua's life was one of trust in God's promises. They remembered God had already shown them what he could do. And they knew God had kept his promises in the past, so he would make a way now. Because even when I can't see God's hand, I can trust his heart, trust his promises, and trust his ways. As you see in the story, the difference between fear and faith for the Israelites is 40 more years of wilderness and the death of a generation before being able to go into the promised land. Now, another way of saying this is, remember you've been delivered to walk into a great promise. It's not just looking back, it's what God wants to do and how much God wants to do in all of our lives. God doesn't just want to take us out of slavery to sin. He wants to take all of the effects of that sin that's had in our lives, totally changing our identity out of us and giving us a new identity. God wants to remove the instincts we have lived by when we were in bondage to sin. So imagine with me a little boy raised in a home where there was daily abuse for the first five years of life. He has never been told by his parents that he's loved. They call him names, demean him, physically hurt him consistently. This little boy has never had a bed. He's only had a corner of a floor in a filthy room. He's never owned a pair of pajamas. He has old clothes that rarely get washed. He barely knows what a hot shower feels like since the, most of the time they didn't have money for heat. His parents don't feed him enough, so when he goes to school, he always asks for second at school lunch, and when other kids don't want their food, he gladly takes it, only to stuff it in his pockets so he might possibly have some food when he's at home that evening. Sound like a horrible story? Honestly, it's all too real, even in Columbus. Child Protective Services comes one day, takes him out of the home, puts him in a new good home where he's eventually adopted by those same foster parents. They give him a hot shower. They tell him to enjoy it. They get him new clothes. He has his own room with a bed just for him. The dad and mom start to speak life and love and hope into this boy's life. Tell him he's loved every day. The dad regularly tells him how proud he is of him. This little boy has never heard someone speak to them that day. He's never experienced love, much less unconditional, consistent love. Yet the dad comes home from work the first couple weeks the little boy is with them, only to find him hiding in the closet in fear. And he tells him, you don't ever have to do that again. I'll never hurt you. For the first year or so, the dad walks in his room and often finds him sleeping on the wooden floor in the corner. And he gently gathers him up in his arms. He tucks him in bed and tells him, you don't ever have to do that again. This bed is yours. After a week or two and some deducing from doing the laundry, they realize the boy is stuffing food in his pockets at every meal. And they tell him, son, you never have to put food in your pockets again. If you need more lunch, just ask. We'll buy a bigger lunchbox. And son, you can go to the refrigerator or the cupboard anytime you want. If you're hungry, if you need seconds or thirds at dinner, just ask. You will never have to go hungry in this house. And yet it takes time before he stops putting food in his pockets. See, this is the story of every Christian, every human being who comes to know and follow Jesus, who is adopted as a child of God by God himself. 
Sin has damaged us so greatly that we live too often with a sense of fear. We fear God might not provide, that he might not, we might not be okay. We fear God will disapprove and stop blessing us and caring for us. So we live under this cloud of self-condemnation and fear. As a result, we do things to forget that condemnation, to give us relief from it, to just give us a couple hours of entertainment that's stimulating enough to make us forget. But God is saying he loves us. You don't have to live with that condemnation. You don't have to take less than he wants to give you. Remember, take note of the blessings of God in your life and remember. And remember his commands that you don't have to sleep on the floor, stuff food in your pockets or hide in fear in the closet or worry about the future. God is providing for you. The great promise God has delivered you into is one of plenty, of blessing, of being able to carry you through the difficult moments of your life. Deuteronomy 28 says you will be blessed in the city and the country. You will be blessed in your family. You'll be blessed in your finances when you handle them as he directs and give generously as he directs. It says God will open to you his good treasury of the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations but not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God being careful to do them. Moses also points to the greater promise, the coming of Jesus, Deuteronomy 18. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And Moses pens seven other prophecies of Jesus as well. Jesus comes and fulfills every single prophecy as the better Moses, delivering us from our slavery to sin through each and every one of us following him on our own Exodus journey. And like our illustration of the foster to adoption boy, Ephesians teaches us in Jesus we have been adopted into God's family. Our inheritance is guaranteed. We have God's power with us, his Holy Spirit. We are never left on our own. In Philippians, we have the riches of God and the promise of God that the good work that he's begun in you, notice begun, not yet finished. He knows it's not yet finished. There is still more challenging change he's going to take us through. But the good work that he has begun in you, he will surely finish. God is inviting us to respond with faith, not fear. And remembering is the key to remaining in that place of faith. So how do you see God with you? In the past, in the present, in the promises for your future. Is he just passively there, giving you some inspiring, motivational, challenging words, but nothing else? Or do you live with the trust that God can move mountains and part seas to fulfill his will in your life and his purposes through your life? Where are your fears and anxiety magnifying the obstacles, making you want to escape and go back to what you've known? See, when we face uncertainty, we can either go the way of faith or we can go the way of fear. Like Caleb, let's respond with faith. Trusting God has a way through being people who bring peace, not fear. Being people who seize the opportunity created by fear around us to be God's good news. Trusting that God can provide and care for us and our children through this uncertain virus time, as well as make us a blessing to others. Remembering God in the past, in the present, and in the future promises is the spiritual habit that helps us respond to uncertainty with faith, not fear. So how is the Holy Spirit asking you to respond in faith and leave fear behind today? Would you join me as I pray for our community, our nation, for us, for health and healing, and declare God's goodness? Lord, thank you so much that you are with us, 
even in the uncertainty of everything going on around us today, you are making a way for your good news, for your healing, for your power to be known in our lives and through our lives, Lord, that we would not only grow in a depth of understanding of faith in you and allow fear to be driven out of our lives, but Lord, we would be bringers of peace and hope to the people around us, that many people would encounter you through this time through us, that your spirit would allow us to have the joy of being used by you to bring peace in the midst of this situation all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we end today, I want to encourage you to click on the link in the Facebook post underneath this live broadcast for and listen to the song, No Longer Slaves. And allow the words to just become your voice and your worship to God right now. The words that say, I am no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. Thank you for joining us online today. Don't hesitate to email or call with you any needs that you are aware of. We'd love to be able to continue to minister and reach out during this time. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.